We're going to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'll start in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Amorites and some of the Unites came and waged war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, the vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazatanner and in Gaiti. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek the help of the Lord. And indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard. And he said, Lord, the God of all our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are at your hand. No one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to us forever and the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for you and for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether sword or judgment or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear and save us. Now, the rest of the reading, I'm going to leave for you this weekend and maybe some others we go to. See, I'm going to share with you a summary. I don't normally do that, but every once in a while I'll give you a summary of today's sermon so you know where we are heading today because I might stretch one or two of you. See, our God doesn't believe in no-win scenarios and neither should we. How do we avoid getting caught up in the trap of believing that God can't win the day? That is where we're going at today. As we look into God's holy word, he overcomes everything in our life if we just let him. Now, how am I going to get you there? Well, back in the 60s, some of you weren't born back there, but back in the 60s, there was a groundbreaking show produced and it premiered on NBC. It was produced by Gene Roddenberry, Desi Arnaz, and Lucille Ball. Now, you may not know that. That's, that's right. Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball helped produce this show. And the opening monologue was spoken by Captain James T. Kurt every week. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission is to explore strange new worlds, seek out new life and new civilizations, and go boldly where no man has ever gone before. When I was a kid, oh, I loved it every week. Every week I was glued to the TV and I watched the crew of the Starship Enterprise. And, of course, Captain Kurt, they face seemingly overwhelming odds. And every week they triumphed over evil and of the evil of the universe, and they boldly went where no man had gone before. Any of you ever watched Star Trek? I actually, I've seen every movie, too. They faced and conquered and overcame odds because they had Captain Kurt. Captain Kurt was the leader, a man of skill to guide he always maintained and refused to believe in a no-win situation or no-win scenarios 
And whatever the challenge he faced, each week he always did what had to be done to save his crew and, of course, help good overcome evil. You, you know what I'm talking about? Every week, he's like an old cowboy western, right? Now, one of the, in one of the Star Trek movies, I don't remember the name, don't really matter, right? But, and I have to admit, I've seen them all. I've seen, boy, I, I, I've seen them all. We're told that Kirk was, when he was in the Starfleet Academy, he was required to take a test. And it was a computer simulation where he would be faced with life and death scenarios and it was impossible to win. The enemy would surround the ship no matter what decision he as a captain made. Hundreds of people were going to die because it was impossible to win the battle. But Kurt did win because he cheated. He got into the computer and reprogrammed it so it would be possible for him to rescue a ship. Anybody remember that part of the show? Yep. That theme of the show was Captain Kurt did whatever he had to to win because he refused to believe in a no-win situation. And that brings us to our text today. The King of Judah was a man named Jehoshaphat. According to 2 Chronicles chapter 17, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he had followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult with Baals or, or sought, he, but he sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than practices that Israel had fallen into. And the Lord established his kingdom under Jehoshaphat's control, and all of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, and he had great wealth and honor. And those words are found in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 through 5, if I remember right. Maybe 3 through 6. No, it's 3 through 5. You can check me out later if you want. Well, that great wealth and honor soon got the attention of three nations in the East who decided they wanted all that wealth for themselves. And they formed a huge army. They didn't like each other, but they all came together for the battle. They actually hated each other, but they came together for the battle to attack Judah. And when they were about 25 miles away, hmm, now, we know this is a bad situation because we're told that King Jehoshaphat was afraid. That is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. He was afraid. He hadn't counted on this. No, 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 no. Let me say that again. He hadn't counted on this. Judah was a couple days away from being conquered by an enemy that outnumbered and outgunned them. They had no chance of survival. Three nations came together against one. It was a no-win scenario. And King Jehoshaphat was afraid. What was he to do? 
Should he have a council of war with his advisors? Should he muster a, um, a huge army on short notice to face this threat? Or should he face the fact that he was going in a no-win situation anyhow and just surrender? Well, Joseph didn't do any of this. What did he do was he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast through all Judah. Fast, if you're a visitor, fast means no eating. And Judah assembled, they all assembled to seek the help of the Lord from all over the cities. They came to his temple to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord and prayed. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God of heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are the power and might, and none of us is able to withstand you. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is on this house. Oh, that's good words. But then it says, and cry out to you for our affliction. And you will hear and save. Now, now really, he prayed and, they, and he fasted. He didn't examine his options first. He didn't bring out the military. He didn't make great plans to confront his enemy. He simply turned to God. And he prayed and fasted. In fact, all of Judah prayed and fasted with them. Why? Because they knew the God who didn't believe in no-win situations. They had a captain. They had a God who didn't believe in no-win situations. And he would do what he had to do to save them. And how did God respond? And if you, keep, if you keep on reading in the scriptures reading today, it says, Listen all of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them, and behold, they will become up by the ascent of Zent, and, and then they, you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the Jerwell, which is a, a picture that is going to show right here. This is the wilderness of Jerwell. This is where it happened. You, and it, then it goes on to says. You will not need to fight the battle. Stand firm and hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. 
Now you can read all of this for yourself in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 16 and 17, and keep reading. It's a great read. That's, where, that's the actual picture of the wilderness we're talking about. Tough place for a battle. Well, the Lord set up an ambush for the enemy, and they all turned, got turned around. First off, you remember, they all hated each other in the first place, right? And they started killing each other. And you know, they were all dead on the ground. Israel didn't have to fight. And now the Bible records that the riches and the jewels that they left behind took Judah three days to haul into Jerusalem. Three days. The children of Judah all praised the Lord and he saved, he saved them at all. Not one Israelite was lost. Judah listened to their God and their God did what needed to be done to save them from a disaster. Now I've told you all this for a reason. Tough reason. Today we are in a new year. We are about to enter a new frontier. See, I tied it back to Star Trek. Do you believe he has the power to defeat no-win situations? Good, because we, we've got to have a talk. You don't, don't say yes too quick, because we got to have a talk. This year we're in is going to be crazy. That's my personal opinion. I, I have an opinion. This, anybody doubt me that this year is going to be crazy? Anybody think that it's going to not be crazy? I don't see one hand come up, so you think I might be right here. This year will be a challenging year for the church in America and around the world. Now, let, let me share this medical thing with you. Uh, I, when things aren't going well, folks tend to think negatively. Have you noticed that? They, they have negative thoughts. Well, according to research done a, a few years ago, our brains are actually wired to pick up negative stuff more than positive stuff. Now, hear this out. In fact, they say that two-thirds of our brain cells are amygdala. That's as close as I'm going to get to pronouncing it for you. Amygdala. Thank you very much. That's the flight and fight part of your brain. And those cells are wired to pick up with something's wrong with life rather than what's right with life. Now, if you want to do the research study, if you want to read about this, it's not made up. It's the Hanson Hospital Group. And the study um, was March, but it's 2010, March something, March 2010. Type them in. You can check it. But two thirds of your brain is ready to run away. That's why you're, we're alive. God made us this way. It's kind of normal for folks to see the negative in like our present world situation. But what we should focus on is who is our God. We need to remind ourselves that we serve a powerful God. One who can do mighty things. One who can do miracles. One who doesn't believe in no-win scenarios. So with that in mind, I want us to look at 
So a very important verse in the Bible. You might want to write this verse down. You might want to read it later. You, th this is one of those verses that's great to commit to your memory. Acts chapter 2 verse 47 tells us that the early church was praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such should be saved. This is a very important verse. What did it say? The Lord added to the church. Can God, God do that? Well, of course he can. Because our God can do mighty things. And that's the reason God can solve our problems today. So how does this all work? Let's review our text this morning about King Jehoshaphat. Judah was trapped by a huge and vicious army. They were at their doorstep. The looming disaster motivated the nation to turn to God. They prayed and fasted, and praise went out. Then they went out to meet the enemy, together, all together. And God destroyed the enemy and solved their no-win scenario. So how do we apply this to the lives that we live here in North Dakota? That's why the Bible repeatedly tells us to stand firm. Place after place in God's holy word, it tells us to stand firm. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord is your labor and you've not labored in vain. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse, no, yeah, six, chapter 16, verse 13 says, Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Ephesians chapter 6, 13, Take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all that, stand firm. Now, and we can't forget 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 15. Stand firm and hold to the traditions, which is the teachings, actually correct translation, that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by letter. The Bible is very clear about this. God calls us to stand firm. To stand up is what I, I would put in a more modern tense. He is God of the impossible. Our job is to stand strong. What's interesting is God's holy word repeats this, repeatedly tells us Stories of men and women who stood. Now we have Moses, 
before Pharaoh, who ultimately let the people of God out of, out of slavery in Egypt. The people of Israel stood before the walls of Jericho, and the walls fell down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before Nebuchadnezzar's idol and refused to bow, and God delivered them from the fire. And Esther, oh, I love Esther. She stood before the, the throne of King Xerxes and saved the Jews from destruction. And what's interesting about all these stories I just quoted you is that they're all about folks and they only did one thing, they stood. All those folks I just quoted you didn't do anything, they just stood, stood firm. Their victory didn't come by the force of arms. Not one of them by the force of arms. There was no swords, no spears, etc. that I, you know, they weren't there. Their triumph wasn't accomplished because of their personal power. They didn't win the day because they were influential people. They overcame evil because they trusted in God and stood firm. The only necessary, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. But when God's people stand firm in the face of evil, evil is frustrated and evil is defeated. Does that make sense? And so let me, let me work it this way. God tells us to stand, to stand firm. Now, hear this out. You may be the only person who's able to stand up for God in the face of a bad situation, so stand. Maybe the only place in your place of work, maybe the only place in your family. And oftentimes, now here, I want to give you both sides. Now, oftentimes, People who stand for God have to stand alone. I ain't promising you in a bed of roses. I'm being honest. Many of the great heroes and heroines of Scripture face danger all by themselves. But it was their courage in those times of danger that turned the tide. Their job wasn't to win. Their job was to stand their ground in those times of danger. But now, why would, it, why would Christians have to stand firm in this dark world that we live in today? Why would they, or, or let me ask this, why would they back down in the face of opposition? Let's word it that way. Why, why would a Christian face back down? Well, one reason is a lot of folks are afraid of standing alone. That's just a fact. In fact, there's actually a name for this kind of fear. It is called the bandwagon effect. Now, trust me, in sports, the bandwagon effect describes fair weather fans. These folks get on the bandwagon and support their team when they're winning. Now, but the APA Dictionary of Psychology in their March 2nd, 2020 edition, check me out, March 2nd, 2020 edition, 
on their online listing under bandwagon effect. And yes, bandwagon effect is an actual clinical term. If they have a, their definition, the tendency for people in social and sometimes political situations to align themselves with the majority opinion and do not believe in the things of that opinion. Because, he goes on to say, because many other people appear to be doing the same thing. They put themselves out if nobody else is going to do it. That, that's bandwagon effect. Before I was doing this sermon, I did not know that was a, a real clinical term. I've heard it quoted, but it's a doctor term. Do you feel smarter? <sighs> People say, why put themselves out if nobody else is going to? They prefer to just go along to get along. And that's the bandwagon effect. Another reason a lot of people don't want to stand firm in the face of evil is that they don't want to get hurt. They're afraid of suffering what they might say, oh, how begin this? They might lose their job. They, or they might lose a friend. Or they might lose somebody else. Oh boy. You know, now I'll throw this out. I'm going to go off sidetrack here. I, I, when I go out, I, I, I'm a teetotaler, I don't drink. I, I, I'm, my family's been affected by alcohol and all that, and ministers. There's nothing worse to destroy a minister's testimony than seeing them drunk after a wedding or something like that. So I go and I try to order these drinks. I did not know this, but at those weddings, they charge for each drink, and so a can of pot makes two drinks. You actually have to pay more to get the whole can in your hand than get something that looks like a drink. Am I making sense? I gotta pay for two drinks. So I'm, you know, they, there ain't no question what I'm doing, right? I'm the guy who just married them. You know, I'm, I'm wedding, and I'm not sitting here with one of those funny little drinks that look really cool, right? Because let's be honest, I've, God's turned alcohol into furniture sometimes, if you want to get, or drugs into furniture. He, he know, I don't want to set the wrong testimony. So I get a whole can of pop. They charge you for two drinks. And I will pay that so I do not hurt God's testimony. Can I just drink it out of a regular drink? Yes, I can, but let's be honest. I'm dealing with a lot of unsaved people, so let's do it. We'll do it right. I better get back to the sermon, though. You're never going to get out of here. See, it doesn't matter what's going on. You stand firm anyway, because... That's what our call, God calls us to do. Now I'm going to give you a very short quote of one of my favorite presidents. One of my favorite quotes of Abraham Lincoln. It's, it's very, very short, but it fits him perfectly. Be sure where you put your feet in the right place. Or be sure to put your feet in the right place. Then stand firm. He used that in half a dozen speeches. Be sure to put your feet in the right place and then stand firm. And how's a Christian to do that? To make sure my feet are in the right place so that I can stand firm for God. Well, I'm going to take you to 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 2. I'll make a short beat here. So, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we have passed on to you, whether by word, by mouth, or by letter. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father, who loved us and by his grace saved us and gave us eternal encouragement and hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. You see, the Bible says in place after place, the Bible is our foundation of our faith. It's our rock. It's our foundation. And it's in the Bible that we sit here today and the founders of this great nation discover what's right and wrong. God's not interested in my opinion or yours. He's not influenced by churches who ignore sin. He's not interested in editorials of newspapers or, or actually in governmental laws that try to legalize immorality. You either line up with scripture or you're wrong. That's bottom line. Whatever the Bible says, that's where we put our feet. The world around us wants us to accept and bow down to what they say we should be like. We're not called to bow down to this world, but to stand tall for what is right and run from what is wrong. Now, this brings you to the final way that Christians should stand firm. And you got to bear with me here. See, again, the rough, tough stuff. Now, hear me out. Early in this sermon, I quoted 1 Corinthians um, 16, 13. That said, be watchful, stand firm in faith, act like men, be strong. But I didn't include this next verse because I want to save it for here. Goes on 16, 13 and be 14, right? 16, 14 is where you're going to find these words. Let all you do be done in love. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds Christians to stand firm, but do it in love. Be respectful. Set your feet and don't move. But don't get into useless arguments. So basically, you know that Facebook page? What's the point to argue with somebody who's in wherever they're at? Or Twitter or You ain't gonna, give me a break. Don't get into useless arguments. Act like people of God, not those of the world. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. To all who will read it, and you may want to read it yourself personally, chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The fact of the matter is 
God has called us to stand boldly. Not to back off from our faith for anyone or anything. But do it gently. Do it without apologizing for what we believe. The world will fight you. And evil will oppose you. But when the dust clears, you'll know it was worth the cost. Our God doesn't believe in no-win scenarios, and neither should we. The world around you wants you to pull, wants to pull, pull you and your, your mind in the trap to believing that God can't win. The war is won. It was won 2,000 years ago, some years ago on a hill called Golgotha, and the proof was the empty tomb. The world will do everything in its power to trap you or to trap your loved ones into the world system. It will. There was a time they tried, how many of you watched Jane Bond's movies? I've seen every one of those too, okay? There was a time that they tried to kick him off the, off the movie theaters because he had a martini, a martini, right? Now, every television show you see shows alcohol and people, you know, government employees still on the payroll, flying in a government jet, drinking all sorts of booze in the plane. You can't drink in a government office building. They'll fire you. But they show it on television. In the corporate world, everyone's got big bottles, big bars. You can't have, if I'd had a bottle in my desk drawer, they would have fired me. I'm just saying. The world's trying to make everything that's terrible, wantable, successful. They think they're trying to show that this is how you're supposed to be. Use some common sense. If you're gonna get fired for it, it isn't what they allow, right? Am I making sense? Get your mind off the TV, off the Twitter, off all that. Now, it's a new year. It's a great year for a resolution. If you've never read your Bible through, this is the year to do it. I would start Matthew. Don't start back in the Old Testament, right? Start Matthew. And please remember that it's 66 separate books that have been put into one book. Now the Bible's consisted of poetry, history, prophecy, and just great information. This is a new year, and this year's gonna be terrible. Now you're saying I'm a naysayer, a doomsayer. Oh, I don't mind telling you this, I think it's gonna be terrible. But if you don't have God's word poured into you this year, you ain't gonna survive this year very well. If you never started a Bible reading year, this is the year to do it. Now, the Gideon app has a great one that will read it to you. You don't even have to read it. So you can be sitting there make, doing dinner, right? And it, it'll read you a chapter and verse. So you, you can get it done. Or there's a fantastic one on the internet for free with James Earl Jones. He sounds like God. Oh, he does. He's a Shakespearean actor that took a year to learn how to pronounce every word. If you want to know how, to, how it's pronounced, he looked it up. You don't have to read it 
You can also listen to it. But if you're not pouring it into yourself this year, you will not survive this year. I, I earnestly, honestly plead with you to come up with something. We stand upon God's word, not upon the world's opinion. And if you want to know where right and wrong comes from, you've got to read the Bible. Our, our, our laws came from the Bible. Our rules on bankruptcy came from the Bible. Everything came. They just want to ignore it. Now, we need to close in prayer because there's some wonderful goodies out there. And there's good time of fellowship. This white stuff came down. It won't ruin our day. But for you visitors, yeah, this is a normal sermon. This is me. Next week's going to be tough, though. I'm going to preach on something I haven't preached on in 24 and a half years. So you might want to come back and see what that is. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you've called us to stand firm and strong to go to your word to find out what's right and wrong. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your truth. Now, Father, bless us, keep us, and protect us against the world that wishes us to drag us into the mud and the mire. We are your children, and we claim your son. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs>